It's good to see you again this morning. I'm so glad to, to be here with you again, and uh, we want to take a moment to welcome those who are joining us by the uh, internet services that we offer here at Hoffmantown Church, and I want to, <clears throat> this morning especially, welcome my sister Jenny, who, welcomes, uh, who uh, uh, participates with us every week from her home in Lufkin, Texas. Jenny is going to have another birthday this week, and uh, she gets younger rather than older every year. And I don't know how she does that. But Jenny, welcome to worshiping with us here at Hoffmantown this week. She critiques my messages every, every week and sends me emails about them. But she always just says nice stuff. Isn't that nice? Also, uh, I don't know how many of y'all noticed, but Lauren Rhodes is back in the orchestra. Uh, Lauren, where are you? Are, are you over here? There, he's back in the back. So. But Lauren was in the hospital for two months, and he was in therapy for a long time. And then two or three weeks ago, Lauren showed back up in the orchestra. Well, the last time Lauren and Linda and I saw each other, we were music students at Eastern New Mexico University 45 years ago. And so we get to see each other again now. And I was going to comment on how the color of his hair has changed, but I thought that might be kind of counterproductive. <laughs> but it's great to see you and to have you back in the, in the orchestra. Well, today we're going to, uh, I told you I had one sermon on, on the subject of hell. And today we're going to take some time to, uh, to go over that subject, and it could be pretty touchy, but I'm going to invite you to look in your scripture to Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, Luke 16, and I'll be coming to that after a while. James Weldon Johnson wrote a collection of poems that he called God's Trombones, and, and this collection is essentially a slave's relationship to God. And one of those poems, probably the most familiar of the collection, is called The Creation. <clears throat> and it goes like this. And God stepped out on space, and he looked around and he said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. And as far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything, blacker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. And God smiled, and the darkness rolled up on one side, and the light stood shining on the other, and God said, that's good. Then God reached out, and he took the light in his hands, and he rolled the light around in his hands until he made the sun, and he set that sun ablazing in the heavens. And the light that was left from making the sun, God gathered it up in a shining ball, and he flung it against the darkness, spangling the night with the moon and the stars. Then down between the darkness and the light, God hurled the world, and God said, that's good. Then God walked around, 
Then God himself stepped down, and the sun was on his right hand, and the moon was on his left. The stars were clustered about his head, and the earth was under his feet. And God walked around, and he looked around on all that he had made. And where he trod, his footsteps hollowed the valleys out and bulged the mountains up. And God stopped and saw that the earth was hot and barren. So he spat out the seven seeds. He batted his eyes, and the lightnings flashed. He clapped his hands, and the thunder rolled, and the waters above the earth came down. The cooling waters came down. Then the green grass sprouted, and the little red flowers blossomed. The pine tree pointed its finger to the sky, and the oak spread out its arms. The lakes cuddled down in the hollows of the ground, and the rivers ran down to the seas, and God smiled again. And a rainbow appeared and curled itself around his shoulder. Then God raised his arm and he waved his hand over the land and over the sea. And he said, bring forth, bring forth. And quicker than God could drop his hand, fishes and fowls and beasts and birds swam the rivers and the seas, roamed the forests and the woods and split the air with their wings. And God said, that's good. Then God walked around, and he looked around on all that he had made. He looked at his sun, he looked at his moon, he looked at his little stars, and he looked on his earth with all its living things. And and God said, I'm lonely still. So he sat down on the side of a hill where he could think. By a deep, wide river, God sat down, and with his head in his hands, God thought and he thought till he thought I'll make me a man. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay. And by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. And there the great God Almighty who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most far corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust toiling over a lump of clay till he shaped it in his own image. Then into his nostrils, God breathed the breath of life and man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. And that was the warm, close relationship that God intended to have with man for all eternity. He loved mankind and wanted us to have a perfect fellowship with him forever. But mankind messed it up. We sinned. And sin got in the way of that perfect relationship. God created two eternal destinations. Heaven is the place where he wants all mankind to spend eternity. He wants you and he wants me to be in heaven with him forever. That perfect place. The only other alternative is hell. 
In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me. Only two, heaven or hell. There's no middle ground or third alternative. So as we discuss hell this morning, we're going to go into the FAQs, the frequently asked questions to start off with. The first one, is there really a hell? People frequently ask, is there really such a place? Is there really a hell? What does the Bible say about that? Well, the Bible, which is our spiritual authority, says there certainly is a hell. In Matthew 25, 46, Jesus said, Then will they go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Two places. Eternal punishment or eternal life. There really is a hell, and there are a lot more references to it than just that, and we'll speak to some of the other references as we go on here. The second frequently asked question is, what is hell really like? What is that place? Well, to tell you the truth, we don't really know for sure what hell is like. Jesus paralleled hell to the burning trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem. There was a, a place called Gehenna that was a, a constantly burning place where people just took their trash and threw it. And cadavers of animals were thrown out there where the worm dies not, well, there was, you know, it was a nasty place uh, where there, it stunk. And it was just the worst place anybody could imagine. And Jesus paralleled hell to that because it was the worst place anybody could think of. He says in Mark 9, 43, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed with, uh, than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Or to go into Gehenna where the fire never goes out. He's paralleling it to that horrible place outside the walls of Jerusalem. However, in Matthew 8, 12, he tells of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. How you have all that fire and outer darkness at the same time, I don't know. That's why I say I don't know exactly what hell is going to be. What Jesus is doing when he talks about is saying, it is just awful. You don't want to go there. It's worse than anything that we can imagine. Imagine outer darkness being a place where you are in complete darkness, unable to touch or feel or hear anything. It's just complete darkness, but you are able to think. Maybe that's what that's like. And it's that way for all eternity. Or maybe it really is fire. Or maybe it's outer darkness and it's so hot that you feel like fire. I don't know. But I know that when Jesus talks about it, it is an absolutely miserable, horrible place. And you can read a lot of parallels to it, a lot of discussion in the scripture that hell ain't the place you want to be. It is a terrible, terrible place. So we know some 
of what hell is like. We don't know exactly what hell is like. But we do know there's weeping, gnashing of teeth, because it is just so horrible. The third frequently asked questions. Why would God create such a place? Why would he do that? God did not create hell for people, but for the devil and his angels. God didn't do that for people. Matthew 25, 41, if you're taking notes. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God prepared this place for Satan and those who followed him. His angels, his beings that were part of Satan's entourage. The fourth question that you get asked, how can a loving God send people to such a horrible place? God doesn't send people there. People send themselves to that horrible place. As a matter of fact, God provides a way out. He doesn't want anybody to go to that horrible place. Unconfessed sin cannot get into God's perfect heaven. Unforgiven sin cannot get into God's perfect heaven. Or then, or otherwise, it would not be perfect any longer. God's perfect heaven has to remain perfect. And so that sin can't get there. The only other place for it is in this place called hell. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The repentance means that you ask forgiveness for your sins. He wants you to be forgiven. He doesn't want you to go there. God doesn't send people to hell. He provides Jesus Christ and his way out. And at the end of my message here in a few minutes, I will explain exactly, once again, how you can make sure that you don't go to this horrible place called hell. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his only son to die for us so that we don't have to go to that place. Pretty good answers for all of the frequently asked questions that we've just talked about. So, in one of Jesus' parables, he gives us a picture of hell. And that's the text for this morning's message. Luke 16, 19 to 31. Luke 16, 19 to 31. It's a rather long reading, but it illustrates what we're talking about. This is from the New International Version. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. 
In hell, where he was in torment, torment, he, the rich man, looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in the fire. That seems to say fire, right? But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warm them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Moses and the prophets talking about the Bible. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. We call the Pentateuch. And so they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible to let, uh, let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if any, someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Who went from the dead to talk to them? Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, he said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they don't pay attention to the Bible, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead, even if Jesus Christ himself comes back to life and says, don't do it. Don't do the things that put you in hell. Even if Jesus comes back, they won't pay attention to him, is what Jesus is saying there. Now, let's look at four statements that may fit a person who anticipates going to hell. And the real truth behind those four statements. Four statements. And they're said, I don't know, maybe in a little bit of a lighthearted way, but, you, but hell is not lighthearted. But we'll see where the answer takes us here. The first statement, preparation for hell can be fun in a no-guilt worldly sort of way, right? Verse 19 says, he was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. If you're going to go to hell, you can do anything you want to, long as you want to. Just keep it up if you're preparing for an eternity in hell. You can rob, you can steal, you can even murder. You can party till you drop with booze, illicit sex, lewd literature, filthy language, no guilty conscience. You can do anything you want to if you're anticipating going to hell. Or if it's your thing, you can live a quiet life of self-sufficiency and just be a Nice person, whatever floats your boat. You can do anything you want to if you're going to hell. All will go to the same hell without Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. You all go to the same hell without Christ. But what about people who claim to be a Christian? People who have made a profession of faith. They walked down an aisle, they got baptized, they went through all that, 
and they still live a party till you like, a party till you drop lifestyle. What about those kind of people? I think one of two things is true. Either, if, if that's your lifestyle, either you are a miserable person, you're not a happy person, or you never really got saved because the Holy Spirit will not let you alone if you're living an ungodly lifestyle and the Holy Spirit is in your life. He won't let you alone. You're going to have the guilt and all of that that's associated with it. The Holy Spirit won't let you alone. Or if you can do that, if you can live that ungodly lifestyle, you're not saved and be happy. I don't think you're saved. You better check yourself out carefully. Number two, statement number two. There's no discipline needed if you anticipate going to hell. You don't have to be disciplined. The rich man had it all. He did anything he wanted to, just as he wanted to. There's no need to worry about developing a Christ-like lifestyle no Bible study or prayerful attitude as a part of your life. You don't need to do any of that stuff. No need to feel guilty if you don't go to church. No. No guilty feeling if you don't try to lead other people to Christ. If you're going to hell, you, just, you don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean anything. Of course, if you're a Christian, those are things that are important to you. And if they're not, they should be. Doing all those things are things that the Holy Spirit works on you about, that you need to be about. There's a big old church in Korea, a Christian church, that in order to become a member of the church, you have to, you, you come to join the church, but you have to bring somebody that you have led to Christ with you in order to join the church. If this church requires you to bring somebody with you that you've led to the Lord, I wonder what the membership would be. Or in most of our Baptist churches, I wonder what our membership would What if you had to lead somebody to the Lord just once a year, once every five years, ten years, ever? If you had to lead somebody to the Lord to be a member of the church, what would we be like as far as membership is concerned? Pretty important stuff. By the way, verse 25 of our text indicates people's memory will work in hell. Abraham said, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Talking to, to the rich man. Remember, you'll be, the person will be in hell remembering the decisions that you chose to make that were bad decisions. Oh, why did I choose not to pay attention to the blood of Jesus Christ? It was a choice I had. I chose not to do it. You'll have to live throughout eternity with the memory of those bad decisions. Statement number three. There will be plenty of company in hell. There will be a lot. Matthew 7, 13 says, Wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to destruction. There'll be a lot of folks going there. There'll be a lot of company. Who will they be? 
Well, those like the rich man in Jesus' story who had everything going their way on earth, so they put their earthly existence ahead of their relationship with Almighty God. They chose to put themselves and, and other things ahead of God. Revelation 21.8 gives another list. This list talks about the cowardly, the unbelieving, which is the most important one in the list, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and others, but the unbelieving, people that never believe in Jesus Christ. In other words, anyone who has unforgiven sin in their lives, unforgiven sin. Now, we, our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. That's that person, that's that way that God has prepared for us not to have to worry about it anymore, that our sins are forgiven now and forever. I remember hearing a guy say to me one time when I was a young Marine, he said, yeah, but all my friends are going to be in hell, so I'm going to go to hell too where all my friends, it'll be party time all the time. You ever heard anybody say anything like that? How stupid is that? My goodness, you're not going to have any friends in hell. Friendship is a, is a product of love. God is love. God's in heaven. There's not going to be any love in hell. There's not going to be any friends. If your mother's in hell, she'll find you disgusting. You're not going to have any friends or love relationships in hell. It'll be a horrible place for eternity, forever and ever, in torment weeping and gnashing, no love. There'll be company in hell, but there'll be no love. And the fourth statement, a lot of very good people are going to hell. Yes, there are. There'll be a lot of good people in hell. But God, I've been good Balanced on the scale of good and bad, I've really been a good person. That's the biggest lie that Satan tells. And that's the one that's put out in all the television shows and the movies and everything else that says, well, I'm going to be, you know, I'm pretty good. When I, I, if I could just die of being a little better than I was bad, well, I'm going to be. No, being good won't get you to heaven. Jesus Christ get you to heaven. I've been good, balanced on the scales of good and evil. My good surely outweighs my bad. Titus 3, 5 says, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Not the good things that we have done. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. You've heard me say it before, and I'll probably say it again. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift of God. You're saved by grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. But there's a wonderful truth that God has provided a way for us, hasn't he? Through the blood of Jesus Christ, I keep saying. You still don't believe in heaven or hell? 
think that that's kind of a fairy tale. Doesn't, it's not really there. We have one other, one other wonderful thing that we can see that helps us see. Some folks, as they are dying, I think, get just a glimpse of what is out there in front of them. I think that sometimes that's actually the truth. People, the last, they see it just before they die. And we catch just a, a little bit of it so that we can hear the final words. Here are the last words recorded by some famous non-believers, some people who died having been non-believers all their lives, a couple of them. Thomas Scott was once Chancellor of England, and just before he died, as he was dying, he said, until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know and feel there are both, and I am doomed. And then he died. Many of you are very familiar with this from Voltaire, the French philosopher who spent his life fighting Christianity. Came out with all kinds of writings and statements and made speeches. Voltaire's last words were, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. He saw that as the last thing just before he died. However, there's the flip side of the coin. Listen to the other side. Those with a relationship with Christ. Those who saw this last thing just before they died. Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist of two centuries ago, or a century and a half ago, he said as he was dying, he said, This is glorious. Earth receding, heaven opening, God calling me. He was looking forward to going into heaven. It was great. A fellow by the name of John Lyde said, Can this be death? Why, it's better than living. Tell them I die in Jesus. A woman by the name of Martha McCracken said, How bright the room, how full of angels. My mother, as she was slipping into a coma, she was in the ambulance, and my sister was in the ambulance with her. And my sister said, she said two things. She said, well, I guess I'm going to die. And then the last thing she said was, only three more steps to the treasure. Don't know what she saw, but she saw something special. Three more steps to the treasure, and then she never did come to. She died few days later. A special look at the wonderful treasure that God has for us there. I close with this illustration, then I'll explain exactly how everyone within the sound of my voice can go away assured that your destination is heaven. And most of the people in this room have already taken that step. But if there's somebody, some, several somebodies in the room, you can make sure that you don't go to that place called hell. Dr. Scarborough was a great preacher, and he was uh, 
one of the founders of Southwestern Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth, Dr. Scarborough, they, they named Scarborough Hall, right, David? Named Scarborough Hall after him at Southwestern Seminary. And Dr. Scarborough was such a great preacher, and he, he was an evangelist, evangelistic preacher. And when Dr. Scarborough was dying, he had preached so many places and led so many people to the Lord. They said that he had a, a disease and those of you that are in the medical field will certainly know what I'm talking about, but I'm not sure I do. They said his, his brain had shrunk so that he, was, uh, he died of, of uh, he'd gotten old and his brain had just shrunk. And so what he was saying was just whatever his thoughts, his last thoughts were, he had reduced down to the very basics of who he was. And... What he died doing was giving an invitation for people to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. He died just saying, won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? Won't you accept Jesus as your Savior? Or words to that effect. That was his final words because he was looking forward to going to that same Jesus Christ himself. Now, let me ask you a question. If your brain were shrunk to where you were at your very basic, at the very core of who you are, what would the words be that came out of your mouth? Would you be asking people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ? Would you be saying sweet things to your spouse? Would you be singing praise songs to Jesus Christ? Or would you be upset about something? Or where would you be? Would you be talking to Jesus? Would you be saying, oh, three more steps to the treasure? Where would you be if you were boiled down to your very basic self? Christian, I'm saying that because I hope that your relationship with Christ is one where you experience the joy of your salvation. And you've let Christ have his rightful place on the throne of your heart. If you haven't done that, I hope you'll recommit your life to him now. Person who has never prayed to receive Christ and given him uh, control of your heart, ask him to forgive your sins. You've repented, you've never repented of your sins, but you would like to do that today. You can do that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. That means you will not go to hell. You shall not perish, but you'll have everlasting life with Jesus Christ in heaven. You can have that wonderful assurance before you leave this room this morning. You can talk to him right now. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Christian, be praying. Recommit your life to Christ right now. Would you do that? Lost person, and I use that term lost because you haven't yet put yourself in a position where you shall not perish, but you can do it right now. You can pray and talk to Jesus Christ right now and say, Dear Jesus, I know I have never given myself to you, but right now I want to do that. I'm going to ask you, Jesus, to forgive my sins, to come into my life and be my master. 
Jesus, be my Lord. I give myself to you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Oh, Jesus, I want you to be my master. Would you pray that prayer right now, lost person, so that you can be found and you shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Dear Jesus, I pray if there are lost people in this room today, that they will accept you as their personal Savior, that they will ask you to come into their lives and to be their Lord and Master so that they can spend eternity with you in your wonderful heaven. I pray that they will do that right now. Now, folks, I'm going to ask you to stand. There may be some of you that need to just recommit your life to Christ by coming down front and kneeling at these steps. You may need to just, by coming to the front, it helps you reinforce your recommitment to Christ. Lost person, you may need to come and talk to me or one of the counselors and give your life to Christ. If you need to do that, this is the time. Just come forward right now. Give your life to Christ while the music is playing. We're ready to talk to you. Do you need to come and pray? Do you need to come and give your life to Christ? Whatever step you need to take right now, this is the time. Would you come and give your life to Christ? Would you come commit yourself to Him? Would you come pray? Let this be the time when you put Christ first so you shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let us continue to pray. Where do you stand with Jesus today? Are you in just the right relationship with Him? In a crowd this size, there are probably those that need to commit your life to Christ. Now, you don't have to come down front. That's not, the, that's not necessary, but sometimes it is important to be willing to make a public commitment to Christ so that you can stand up for Him in a public way. But wherever you are, I encourage you to, right now, commit yourself to Him, whether it's coming forward or not. Or when we leave this place in just a moment, if you want to fill out that little slip of paper that's on your bulletin and drop it in one of the boxes outside, somebody from the church will get in touch with you this week to talk to you about next steps to take for the decision that you want to make.
in just a moment, we'll have our closing prayer, but the counselors will be available to those of you that might want to come and talk to them after we've dismissed. Dear Jesus, we love you so. We thank you for loving us and providing a way so that we don't have to go spend eternity in a place you prepared for the devil and his angels. But you have prepared a perfect place for us, a place called heaven. Oh, thank you that you love us so. And you sent Jesus so that we could be forgiven of our many sins. Thank you so much, Jesus. I pray that you'll go with us from this place and help us to remember to put you in first place in all that we do. Thank you for this church, for its witness to you, and we pray that you'll be with each one of these folks as they go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.